0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting, but talking be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers.
2: Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing. Television and the business of writing television. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit a26la.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage, sad, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes. Uh, I'm also currently a writer on the CW's Supernatural. Any Supernatural people here? Uh, We have a brilliant group of writers with us today, so let's introduce our panelists straight away. Our first panelist began his career in animation, writing for such series as Teen Titans and The Jackie Chan Adventures. While he continues to work, uh, while he continues to write for animated series, his primary focus is the hour-long drama where he's written for Law and Order, In Plain Sight, and Lie to Me, among others. He currently works for Person of Interest, premiering this fall on CBS from the J.J. Abrams camp. Please welcome David Slack. Our next panelist uh, has a sketch comedy background, having written for The Kids in the Hall and Saturday Night Live. He developed the Naked, and Tru- Naked Trucker and T-Bones show for Comedy Central, and served as co-executive producer on King of the Hill, for which he won an Emmy Award. Uh, he currently writes on NBC's terrific Parks and Recreation. Please welcome Norm Hiscock. <laughs> Hi, Norm. Hello. Our final panelist tonight began his writing career on the venerated Nash Bridges. (laughs) He then worked his way from story editor on The Shield, exiting as executive producer, to write on such series as Life, Crash, and Hawthorne. Presently, uh, he's an executive producer on AMC's Walking Dead, Glenn Mazzara. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, guys, let's, let's get right to it. We have a lot to cover, and I know our audience has a lot of questions as well. Um, before we talk about how you broke in as a writer and started making your living as that, I'm curious about your background as writers. When did you know that writing was, A, a profession, and, B, should be your profession? And where does TV start to come into that? When did you realize that TV writing was a thing? um david let's start with you
3: okay um uh well um gosh that's i don't know <laughs> i mean honestly, have you like, always I, I, I watched seven hours of television a night when i was a kid yeah. Uh, yeah i would come home do my homework quickly and then just watch television what were your shows
2: um, growing up what was the stuff that you oh it was not
3: miss. stuff to be of. It was not critically acclaimed. This
2: is a pretty cool crowd. So a lot of A team.
3: Uh <laughs> uh it was all of that it was all that Stephen Cannell stuff. It was uh, which this isn't all him but it, I think it was inspired by him. It, um Greatest American Hero, A Team, Riptide, um, Remington Steel. What was Riptide? I don't stuff. even know what that is. Riptide? What yeah. was Riptide? Yeah. Someone right. else take over. Oh, Put I'm the only. Mic down. I'm only 19. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's indescribable. It was three guys running a detective agency on a boat, and there was a robot. That's the extent of whatever. Yeah. The robot was orange and it was like a nerdy guy. Do you want to go pitch a remake? on that? Um, probably. Okay. Let's yeah. do it next week. But no, I, uh, I, I started out writing. I, I got a degree in, uh, in theater. I studied theater at, uh, at SMU in Dallas and, um, uh, started out acting, switched my major to directing. Um, uh, and then when I graduated, I wound up writing cause it's like the cheapest art form, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, patent paper at CVS nobody can stop you um, uh, and then discovered along the way that uh, you know just do what you're good at you do what you can stand you know like I can be in a room for 12 hours 16 hours can I square is that okay? I'll allow it. Okay. Uh, I can. Well, now I'm not gonna because it's weird. <laughs> um, but I'm uh, messing <laughs> around with the way that a couple of people talk to each other, and I don't hang myself. And you were know? you writing like... uh, plays? Were you writing TV? Um, at this point? No, I it was. I graduated from college in like the heyday of independent film. Uh, like they were literally making Bottle Rocket on the other side of town while I was failing. Um, and so, uh, so I was trying to write in, independent films, and uh, then came out here and. Uh, found my way into the first job that, uh, that I. Could get, which happened to be in cartoons, and wound up writing those, and had a really, you know, great career in animation. And then, what was your entree? Let's step back a little bit, but what was your entree into animation? Um, I started out as a PA on the Men in Black cartoon show. Yeah, I, and it's funny because I still see artists now uh, who like I got their art supplies and put their desks together, <laughs> um, uh, and we're still like friendly. It's just it's fun. It's weird because it's animation's like a small town. It's like there aren't quite as many people clamoring to beat the door down. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I started out as a PA and then I, I had a couple other jobs and then, um, uh, ran into, uh, somebody, uh, that was looking for an assistant for this wonderful guy named Dwayne Capizzi, who was, uh, running the men in black show. And I became Dwayne's assistant and he, uh, he gave me my first shot to write a script with, on a new show called the big guy and rusty, the boy robot. That was the first show I ever That's wrote, great. For, that was a great which challenge. is, which sounds silly, but it has really auspicious roots. It's a, uh, Frank Miller, uh, Jeff Darrow comic book it's a beautiful. Um, do you guys know the comic book? It's a beautiful-looking comic. Book. Yeah, it's gorgeous And the, car, the animated series was really great, too. Oh, I mean it looked great. too. I, I had fun writing it. So um, uh, And then that sort of took off and went that way. So okay.
2: um, We'll talk about uh, your transition to ours in a bit, but let's give Norm a chance
0: uh, I didn't know actually I had no idea. I took uh, filmmaking at a college. It was documentary filmmaking I thought I was gonna be a documentary filmmaker
2: Where and, where was this? Where this is in
0: Alberta in Calgary okay. Uh, Calgary, Alberta, and uh, there was improvising there, there and uh, I thought I might want to improvise. I had met friends I met uh, Mark McKinney at uh, University of Newfoundland of all places, <laughs> and we both dropped out and moved to Calgary and we were looking for work and uh, I, he was funny, I was funny i never but I never thought that I would be writing comedy mm-hmm. and we just started improvising we went to it was uh, Keith Johnstone who's an improviser who uh, started theater sports. We went down there and just started performing. And then I started thinking, well, maybe we have to write this material uh, because we were just improvising all the time. And then we started our own show where we would loosely write. We'd write a premise and then improvise uh, the premise. So that's how I got into it. That's how I started. But I hadn't, I didn't,
2: and it wasn't until I got hired on Kids in the Hall I thought, oh, I'm writing. How interesting. And it was, we've talked to a number of writer performers or writers who started out performing. And oftentimes it's, there's a point where you have to make a choice that you're not necessarily going to perform uh, anymore. And sometimes that choice is made for you. Right. But uh, how, did, do you recall that point?
0: Yeah, I went to a couple of auditions for commercials and realized how stupid it was. And, <laughs> and there were a lot of people in the room that looked a lot like you, and it was just weird. And, <laughs> and so I thought, I can't do it. And I didn't, like, I didn't like memorizing lines. I liked going on stage and faking it, but I didn't like to, have to memorize lines. But what was great about performing was that you're sending someone on stage and you're sending an actor out in front of the camera, so you have to, when you when you're uh, on stage, you realize you, you could fail. <laughs> and improvising was all about that. So you, you, when you're right, you're you, you right to hopefully uh, give something to the actor so that he's not failing, you know. And was it an easy
2: transition for you?
0: Uh, to writing. To writing. Yeah. Did you find it came easily? Especially, it did. Once I was given the chance, I thought in sketch comedy, and I'd been, uh, i had been—I was also easier because I was around friends, so it was like-minded people. Now, if I'd been put on a show where uh, I didn't have those friends around, I don't know if I would have survived. I was very lucky that way, so sure. that was my end.
2: All right. I have more questions, okay. but let's 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 cover our uh, territory here with Glenn, and then we'll we'll back up.
1: Well. um... I always knew I wanted to be a writer, like, when I was six, I was, you know, making horrible comic books and stuff like that, and then in uh, high school, I started writing some short stories, and I wrote this, and, and, you know, they were kind of funny, and I enjoyed them, and my friends and I would make, you know, stupid films and, and stuff, and and then, um, and then I wrote this short story, I forgot about this, I wrote this short story, and I was very happy, it was like a Sam Spade film noir thing, and I showed it to my English teacher, who I really loved. And he said, this is the biggest pile of shit I have ever read. And, and how old and, were you? I was like 16. So so, uh, so uh, he said, well, if you want to write, you have to learn how, you know, you have to go out and you have to read. You have to read this and read that. And he basically wrote down the Western canon for me. <laughs> so so I was like, great, let me get a jump on that. And then I'll go and write. <laughs> well, that's impossible. So uh, 10 years later, I'm still talking about being a writer. I hadn't written anything. And, and my wife said, well, well, you know, if you want to write, I think you have to write. So I said, okay. So I, I wrote some short stories and went back to what I knew. And uh, I have a friend who's now become a, a novelist. And, and we had a, um, a writing group. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent two years writing this horrible screenplay that was just garbage. And and then I, I wrote a play that was um, workshopped at Brown University. My friend was going there. And and they, you know, selected the play and, and, you know, went up every day and I would rewrite it and then they would uh, perform it at night. And 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 that was a good experience. It was terrifying, but it was good. So meanwhile, my day job, and I have a degree in English from NYU, but my day job was I was a hospital administrator. My father was a doctor at a, a New York hospital. So I started working on, a, you know, a summer job that then became a career and I did that job, or I was a hospital administrator basically for 13 years. I was like Radar O'Reilly on speed if people are old <laughs> enough to remember MASH. But I was just working in, in ICUs in an emergency room, and, and I wasn't treating patients, but I was you know, dealing with the nurses and the doctors and the budgets and the patients and the upset parents and guys with jackhammers who have to go open that wall and, and all of this nonsense. So one day, I was complaining to somebody about, well, I, what I really want to do is write. And, and um, they said, well, look at all the skills you have of working in an emergency room. That actually sounds like TV production and TV writing. So I said, oh, OK, great. So that's when I said, oh, I'll be a TV writer. And, and that worked out. And, and, and uh, <laughs> but it was really just the idea of being in the middle of chaos. There was a skill I had in my day job, and and then I was just able to kind of bring the two things together. And how did you start making
2: the, that effort to enter the TV world?
1: Well, this was back in New York, and so what I did was I wrote a spec ER. I found out you write a spec, so I wrote a spec ER, and that was kind of easy to write because I had all this material. So I started... Uh, I turned into a giant pain in the ass where everyone I met, I said, do you know anyone in Los Angeles? And then I would call those people in Los Angeles and say, do you know anyone who works in TV? <laughs> and I did this for four years, and I would just call people, like somehow I got Dean Devlin's number, <laughs> and and I would call, and the um, assistant would say, who, who are you? Could you? Could you call back in six months? Boom, six months, I called back. <laughs> so so i really just was obnoxious and and i did that for four years and then finally i got some some manager who read this and he read this er and he said great what else do you have and i said oh i need i need something else (laughs) so so i really love sydney Lamette and and that kind of gritty you know serpago world i have a brother who's a new york city cop so so NYPD Blue was the big cop show at the time. And I just said, I'm never going to be able to write that. David Milch, the Milch speak. I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that, a credible job of that. So there was this other show, Homicide, that I, but, you know, uh, I'm sorry to date myself, but there were no DVDs. There was no downloading, you know, so I had to join the Museum of TV Radio and watch videotapes. <laughs> and, and I studied that show. And then I, I wrote a spec homicide. So I sent it to the manager. He said, great, I'll show it to an agent. So then he called back, and he said, well, they know that the, the ER is sort of a gimme because you work in an ER. They want to read something else, and they want to read it right away. So Buffy was in its first season, and there was this great shop right by the N, uh, NYU library that had just opened up called Krispy Kreme, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I just got on a mad sugar high and wrote a Buffy in about 14 hours and, and maybe 16. Maybe I'm, you know, whatever. But it felt, it felt like three. But I, so I, I just wrote this insane Buffy and sent it out. And then, and then back at the hospital, I was working three levels on the ground. And, and I got a call. You know, the person came in and said, hey, your agent's on the phone. I was like, really? I have an agent. Great. So, so, so I came out. I took a week off, and I came out, and I, I um, um, you know, came out, and met these guys and stuff. Um, basically, signed a contract with the manager on the hood of a car. Do not do that. I thought I was Bruce Springsteen. Do not do that. It didn't work for him either. And then, and then, um, and then, uh, you know, they said come out for staffing season. I said great. What's staffing season? And so I came out, stayed on a friend's couch, and and then there's a whole other part of that story. But I feel like I'm hogging them. Well, no, tell,
2: <laughs> tell us just the the cap on that story. So you came out. Well, the, the, the cap season. on that story
1: is after a while, I got a pitch meeting mm-hmm. at um, at Nash Bridges. And I had never heard of Nash Bridges. So so I walk into the room uh, to pitch, and I had no idea how to pitch. And I walk into the room, and I'm wearing a black suit and tie, because that's what you wear to a job interview. And, and uh, Sean Ryan's there, and he's wearing, like, a hockey jersey and shorts and things are hanging out and <laughs> and and there's Carlton Q's and I don't know if you guys know Carlton but he's he scares me and so so he's sort of standing you know in front of a a, a, a window so he's just a silhouette with a booming voice <laughs> and there's John Worth, who then ran Sarah Connor Chronicles and just did the cape and and some other stuff so I come in, and I'm nervous as hell, and they said, well, what do you got? And I had one pitch every beat worked out instead of a whole bunch of pitches, right? So I said, well, I have one pitch and it's an old case Nash fucked up on and they said well wait, wait wait it's Don Johnson he doesn't fuck up what else do you have so I started sweating through the suit and I had a, a panic attack and, and I'm serious and they were like holy shit what's going on and, and they took me into John's office and they were like you know had to lie down put my feet up ice pack and stuff and they're like dude what the fuck and uh, I'm like I just want to be a writer <laughs> <laughs> so they brought me back the following week, and I sold them something. And, and uh, So you, so you sold them it. on a freelance script? I sold them a freelance script, okay. yeah. yeah. Right.
2: And then did they staff And then you they like hired me for, oh, okay. for two years. That's well for that. Right. All right. We'll get more into the details yeah, yeah. of that in a minute. Sorry. That's sorry. <laughs> sorry. unbelievable. Sorry, sorry. Unbelievable. Sorry. Um, I want to step back a little bit and talk about this first experience you had on Kids in the Hall, Norm. Um, you said it was an easy transition for you into writing, but there must have been a lot you had to learn in that room. Uh, can you recall what the process was, and, and how that show worked, too? Because I mean, you guys know kids in the hall, right? You love it. We hold it up as a great a, a great comedy model.
0: Well, what I learned was that there was five performers on the show, and that if you wanted to get things on the show, you wrote with them. So if you didn't write with them, you got nothing on. And if you had an idea that you thought was broad or big, you go to Kevin, you go to Dave Foley. If you had a character idea, you went to Mark McKinney. And if you had a big premise idea uh, that had poetry or was weird or off kilter, you went to Bruce. And if you had a gay idea, you went to Scott. <laughs> and Scott would never take a gay idea to you too and then tell you you don't know what you're talking about as you're writing. but. Uh, so the, I, the, you had the, I had freedom to do that on that show. It was great. So if I had a weird premise, I I always felt like, well, that's not right for Kevin. This is right for Bruce. And if this is this is this is pure comedy, I'll go to
2: Dave. And Dave is a great joke writer. So just take it to him, and he he'd you
0: know make it funnier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, writers that were not the the main troupe? There was did they just have? myself, uh, uh, Brian Hart, who was another stand up that
0: knew Bruce McCullough, and it was uh, Bellini, who was uh, a Scott's uh, friend. Okay.
2: And so you went from writing sketch to, you did a few sketch shows, right? You yeah, Kids I did Saturday Hall. Night
0: Live, uh, did uh, Kids in the Hall for four years, and uh, then I did Saturday Night Live for uh, three more, and then I just got tired of sketch. So uh,
2: Was, just to, to delve into this a little bit, because I don't think we've had a Saturday Night Live writer here yet, uh, how was that experience different from Kids in the Hall, or did Kids in the Hall train you well for that? Uh, no, I didn't train you well at all for
0: that. Really? Like, yeah, well, we, we were in Canada, and no one bugged us, and we could write <laughs> whatever we wanted, and they didn't know. What we were doing anyway, so we never got notes, and so uh, they went that's a, that weird Canada show that uh, everybody on the show's gay, and so they didn't really—they're just Canadian, though yeah. it turns out. And so uh, when I went, it was my real showbiz gig was Saturday Night Live, and then I realized, oh no, I'm really in showbiz now. And <laughs> and my first uh, pitch meeting was Steve Martin was in the room; he's a comedy hero of mine. And so I I almost had a panic attack too, although I had to force myself into the room. And I remember just hearing my heart beating. I couldn't hear anything else. I, hear, I could see you talking, but I couldn't hear anything. I hear your pitch, and I go, I just hear my heart going. And then that's, and i just getting closer to me, and I just went, I just talked. I couldn't even hear what I said. I saw people laugh, so that was good. And then it kind of faded down, and the next person talked, and then it kind of, I just went, okay, I survived that meeting. That's all I cared about. And then I <laughs> didn't look like an idiot in front of Steve Martin, so
2: that was mm-hmm. all I cared. Sure. Did, how long were you on that show? Uh, three years. And how was the experience there? Because you hear and so it's, it's up like and down. down. It's a real roller coaster ride. Right? So you'll have one,
0: you know, you'll have something on one week and you'll feel like you're a god, and then the next week you'll get nothing on. You think you failed, and then the next week you have something on. You think you're a god. <laughs> it's like it's so all, all over the map. Uh, so it was really it's it's a rough ride. And the, when I was there, it was like Jeanine Graffalo was there, and Mark McKinney was there, and so there was a big turnover. So you had to learn. All the whole new cast again, it was when Will came on, and so you're just getting to know everybody again, so you had a real learning curve within one year, and then the next year you go, oh, you see everybody at the table, you see what they do, what they don't do, what's working, what isn't working, and then you kind of adjust to that. Is there a particular high point you can recall from those years? Um, uh, I did one sketch with Chris Elliott I really liked about, uh, it was the Denver airport that I liked, and it was a guy taking a poll asking about whether they would use a penis measuring, mach- penis measuring machine in the airport, and uh, people basically said no. And then that was a whole sketch. It's like, no, it's a, it's a bad idea. And he would he'd always keep selling it, but even if it gave you a laminated copy and it told you the size of your penis, and people don't know. And, so, and then at that point, Chris sort of broke out of the sketch and said he was leaving the show after being on the show for 10 years. <laughs> And then he started walking down the hall, and then it switched into uh, when um, uh, the guy who shot um, JFK, what's his name? Uh, was it Ruby? No, Jack Ruby okay. shot Oswald. Oh, mm-hmm. Shot. It turned into that, where they're walking down the hall. <laughs> so I loved it because it sort of was a kids in the hall yeah. kind of kind of sketch, and it was just sort of a three-act little play
2: within the sketch. It was kind of fun to do. Did you find yourself? Uh Drawn to certain performers at the time?
0: Yeah, I like Chris. Chris was a very a concept writer, and uh, he was a fun performer. I, you know, I liked, uh, Will Ferrell was always great. I liked the women on the show. The women were always great because uh, they were just a different voice. For...
2: Interesting. And how did, uh, so then you, you made the decision to go to... Uh, well, half Greg, hour comedy. Yeah. Well, Greg Gant, Daniels phoned me, and then I started thinking
0: about it, and then I I, I, had a, I had a spec script film that I wrote. I hadn't written any half hours, so, and I sent him that, and he said, "Well, come out. I like the script.
2: Let's meet." And I met him, and then I got hired. Right on. Right onto King of the Hill. Yep. Okay. Uh, and so, how was that learning curve for you, you into writing half hours?
0: Oh, it was huge. I, I again, I said nothing. I think for three months in the room where I just sat there and I listened and I. Saw what was working, what wasn't working, what you know, and and uh, you you, at a certain point, I just you start throwing out ideas because you have to, or you think you're going to get fired. So I started doing that, and it it was a great writing room too. So they were uh, very supportive. All right, well we'll talk about
2: that room uh, in a little bit, David. Are you still with us? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry that you haven't been able no, to no no, 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 um, no, Actually,
3: i forgot utterly was. That's... I forgot what's up here. <laughs> yeah,
2: when we go to questions from the audience, you'll what? have a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about transitioning from these animated series to the hour-longs that you're now doing.
3: Well, I mean, you know animation was never what I set out to do. I didn't come here and say, I really want to write kids cartoon shows, but, uh, you know, I, I sort of realized that a career in Hollywood is a lot like hitchhiking. You know, you, you just say, who's going West and, you know, getting that car. Um, which, uh, Thankfully, it didn't result in me being murdered. Um, but so I, I would write in animation. I was I was lucky to have a lot of work, and I, I would write about twenty scripts a year. And sure. um, uh, animation, we
2: haven't talked about it much on these panels, but that
3: it can be grueling. I yeah. mean,
2: it doesn't work quite oh, yeah. the same as as uh, primetime. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you're,
3: you have a lot more lead time because you, you got to get it, you know, over to the animators, and that takes six months. But the schedule, they always start you three weeks late, and you know. But so I, I would I would write a ton, and. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I guess the story of how I got into primetime is the story of there's you know there's no such thing as a bad job, and you don't know where anything's going to lead. Because I, I took a job developing uh, a Lone Ranger animated series, which should have been a bad idea because horses are fucking hard to animate because <laughs> they have four legs, and at that time it was cells, so you get cell <laughs> shadows and stuff. Um, but uh, this Lone Ranger show had a primetime component that was being developed by uh, Suzanne Daniels, who's Greg Daniels' wife. Um, and she had run the uh, the WB network back when there was such a thing. Um, but she was uh, independently developing this for, I guess it was still WB at that point. It had Chad Michael Murray in it. Um, I saw the pilot. It was not a bad pilot. Yeah, no, it wasn't a bad <laughs> pilot. Um, uh, but uh, so she called me into her office one day and I thought I was in trouble. And she's like, I think you're very talented. I think you could work in prime time. Would you like that? And I was like. Yes, because uh, yeah, the, the sort of animation that, that, that I did was not like the sort of animation that you've done. That's that's WGA covered. The stuff I did was uh, with the Local 839, which is a, a fine union, but I'll never f- see a residual for it. Like, I'm going to watch Teen Titans in the nursing home, and <laughs> and I've been paid. Like, that's over, um, uh, which burns you up a little bit after a while. But um, But so anyway, so I started trying to... Uh, I pitched Suzanne some ideas and we started kind of going around and her deal was at Fox at the time and nobody at Fox, uh, you know, I mean, I had over a hundred credits, but none of it meant anything to anybody in prime time. So I I sat down and I very quickly wrote a Shields back, actually. Um, uh, uh, So thanks (laughs) um, for for setting such a great example. So, so, so the, um, uh and the i but by the time it took me like three weeks but by the time it was done uh i think suzanne had taken a job to like go run lifetime and unbeknownst to me she passed my uh my shield spec off to uh an agent uh, a guy named bob goomer who was my agent for many years and bob took me on and uh um made the rounds i was going to be on a global frequency show that was going to be on WB that was based on the Warren Ellis comic book. And I sold a pilot to Fox and I thought, OK, those are my two chances at that. So I was about to take a job working on the, the Clone Wars series that, uh, that George Lucas did when uh, Bob sent me in to meet with uh, Peter Jankowski at Wolf Films. And that's the company that does Law & Order. And I thought, oh, well, this will be a great waste of time. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be very nice, but they're not going to hire me because I, I write fucking cartoons. Um, and this was law and order. But I, I went in, and as it turned out, Peter Jankowski had, uh, had two boys, and they, he watched Teen Titans with them. So he wanted to talk about Raven and Starfire and Cyborg, and, and, and so did I. So, um, so we talked about cartoons, and he set me up to meet with Eric, Eric Overmeyer, who I had studied in school, because uh, uh, he's a fantastic playwright and a great writer. Um, uh, and he hired me and then, uh, and then he was gone before I came on board. But, uh, but I, I, you know, started over cause I had been running uh, a show in animation and I started my career completely over, uh, as a staff writer on a 20 week contract and managed to, in the 16th season of law and order, write something that they hadn't done. So, um, so that's, that's, I guess a good stopping point from, I'll take it. The uh,
2: well, I actually have a follow up question. When you, when you realized you had to write that shield spec, mm-hmm uh was that was that a great leap for you after writing animation? Was the process different for you? Because I know you know yeah. we, we know each other. It's public <laughs> knowledge. Yeah. Find us both on Twitter okay. um, and And you're a very serious writer. you know you take this stuff very yeah. seriously, and you're a very intense writer. Which makes you a great writer, I think. Um, but I I wonder if that seemed like a, a huge hurdle to you at the um, time.
3: It, it, yeah, at the time I remembered thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. This is, you know, I don't know how to break <laughs> a story like this. I've got two extra acts here that I don't know what I'm, you know. Uh, um, but then, you know, after I got that done, um, and it was certainly, I mean, it was, you know, it was nice to research stuff that was more serious mm-hmm. instead of just, like, I bet if I put the word quantum in this sentence, it'll make sense. Yep, that did it. Um, uh, So I, uh, you know, I mean, I was like... I did all this research on necrophilia because I was like, I've never seen an episode about necrophilia and no one wants to see that. So I still (laughs) like have all this research that I'm like, yeah, nobody's going to, nobody's going to make that work as a procedure. Even on Law and
2: Order didn't pay off?
3: No, because it's just gross. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but so I got this, uh, you know, but so I got it done. And then the, the sort of the interesting thing is once I transitioned over to Law and Order, realizing how much it was the same, how much story is just story. That it's, you know, you set out with something that happens and it creates a need and that creates a course of action and there are complications. And so, uh, you know, the fact that I had done such a large volume of work Mm -hmm. in animation and had written all different genres I've written, you know, because a cartoon show kind of goes to a different place every week. So I've written horror and I've written, you know, romance and I've written farce and all of that stuff that actually really Mm -hmm. comes in comes in handy on a, you know,
2: weekly basis. Interesting. And the same question for you, Glenn. I was worried as, you, I mean, worried. I wasn't worried. You're fine. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, as you transitioned from you know writing this play that, that played at, at Brown or at uh, uh, doing any feature specs or whatever, how the television scripting was uh, different or a hurdle, or did it come easily for you?
1: Um, I think it. it did come easily for me because I watch a lot of TV. I consider myself more of a TV person than say a, a, a film person, okay? So I didn't go to film school. I didn't study film. So, but I like TV. So, you know, and TV is tough. It's challenging because it's all about compression. You know, you 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 can't take time, you know, you've got a page and a half to do a scene and, and then you got to move on. Um you know, I find on t v when you 're writing dialogue if if you script somebody has more than five lines of text in one particular speech when you 're editing it it just it, you you tune out so it needs to be really quick and really move move fast so um, you know I like t v and and uh i and I wrote a lot of t v specs because what happened was after Nash bridges. Um, you know, when I was on Nash Bridges, I kept trying to pitch gritty stuff. So, you know, I said, okay, you know, this episode Nash is in a crack house. And they said, "They said, well, no, he's Don Johnson. He's babysitting a celebrity chimp this this week. I said, well, uh, the, the, the chimp's in a crack house. He's... You know, he's, he's being raped and, um, you know, that didn't go too well. And, and, you know, they wanted rollerblading purse snatches. Seriously. That's, that's a scene that I wrote and in San Francisco, you just chase the guy up a hill and he gets tired and you go, come on, Bubba, pull him into the convertible. You don't even have to get out of the car. So, 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 uh, so at the end of two years, I was like, what the fuck is this? I'm going over, I, I'm, I'm hot shit. I'm going to go right for the. Sopranos. Well, the Sopranos was like, "What you wrote on dash bridges? No way!" <laughs> so, so, uh, so I was out of work for a year and a half, and uh, I was, I was, um, you know, I had a wife and two kids, and living on credit cards, and and uh, you know, it's hard. You know, you you feel like you, you I, I, see the thing was I, I initially had success. I got out here. I got a, a job interview within three weeks. I got a job within a couple of weeks after that um but now that year and a half where you can't get arrested you know you really feel you know you can become despondent you feel useless you don't feel validated you question everything you write and and i sympathize for people who are breaking in today because it's 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 really tough and and i i wrote a lot of stuff i wrote a um you know i wrote a west wing that was Fine. I couldn't even tell you what it's about. I wrote an Everybody Loves Raymond. I wrote an Ally McBeal. Uh, you know, where one dog eats another one. Like, that's obviously not that show. Um, um, yeah, I just wrote. I wrote a, a spec pilot. I, I, I was just writing everything I could. That's a, and, that's an interesting yeah. interesting thing that we should maybe talk about
2: for a second because we've heard over and over again on these panels for people breaking in now. Uh, the advice is often find that one thing that you that is your voice that you know that your is, is the story well, that you yeah. want to tell. Yeah, I, I have a story um, about that if, I,
1: if I could. So what what happened was uh, you know I still had that manager and that agent, and um, you know and there were two consecutive staffing seasons that I didn't staff on. So I I thought um, okay, well we need to do a post mortem. I mean I, I'm really having trouble with my career here, and I. Um, said, so, well, let's go out to lunch. And usually when you have an agent, they take you out for lunch, and they pay for lunch. Okay. So, well, the guy said, why don't you come in, and we'll have a quiet meal, and we'll eat here at Gersh. So we ate in the back room of Gersh next to the copy paper, right? So so that's not good. That's not a good vibe. <laughs> and and they ordered Chinese food. And so we're talking, and, you know, they're blowing smoke and all of that shit. And, and so then they... So and I'm hungry, right? So so I, I I'm looking for some extra rice, and I'm picking up all the cartons of rice, and all the rice is gone. So so I realized my career is dead because when have you ever had takeout Chinese food and run out of rice, right? <laughs> so I'm just like, uh, it's completely dead. So so I said, okay, come on, guys, let's cut to the chase. What's going on? And they said, well, we have a a. Um, we have a writer who just wrote a spec Gilmore Girls. You know, you should write a Gilmore Girls. Everybody wants to read Gilmore Girls. And I was like, listen to me, nobody wants to read my Gilmore Girls. Like, <laughs> trust me, I don't know what I'm going to do in that Gilmore Girls, but it's not going to be good, you know? So, so, so it was at that point that I just said, screw it. I got out here on a sugar high. I'm just going to, you know, write what I want and and it was that and and so i started writing a cop feature and i i just i just stopped writing for an imaginary reader oh they're going to develop this or maybe next year they'll need this or this you know i just started thinking about what do i like and and if i like it i could write it well you know what do i like to watch and and do that and so then when we got onto the shield and 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 i was you know, and Sean was a great friend, I was the first guy he hired he was went and went to series and stuff and and he really stuck to his word, sweetheart. But the shield after the pilot very quickly became you know Sean started using Nash Bridges as a model, so a lot of the payoffs from c b s and from Nash bridges that's what the shield was and uh, There was a writer on it, Kevin Arkadai, who said, well, why are people going to go to FX if they can get this stuff on CBS? So it needs to be a little special. And I was so burnt out and just convinced the show was going to be canceled, that it was never going to get to air. So I started coming up with crazy shit. And Kurt Sutter's, uh, you know, a degenerate also. So he, he so, so he came up with this pitch where you know some guy's masturbating into his sock, and I was like, great, and we'll put that in a freezer, and he's saving it, and that's what the murder's all about. And Sean was like, what are you guys talking about? And we're like, just shut up, it's gonna be great. And 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 uh, you know, we sort of the room sort of led the process on 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 that, which was which if yeah, Sean, I'm sure he'll refute, but anyway, um, but it was fun. But But part of my desperation of excuse me, of being out of work led to me just realizing that, you know, these agents are very nice, these managers are very nice, executive friends are very nice. But ultimately, we have to write what we're going to go down swinging on, because anything you write, people tell you it's wrong. People give you notes. I've had many hours on TV where people say, you know, well, that's not right or why they do this. And I like it. And if you want to write something else, you're free to do something else. But so, so it's that sort of, you know, you get beaten up a lot and after a while you're like, well, I'm going to get beaten anyway. So I might as well just write what I want, you know? Um, So that's been my approach.
2: Yeah. Uh, Tell us how this is different on sitcoms, Norm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, you know, I didn't even know I was going to become a sitcom writer. I had no idea. I was on Kids in the Hall, and I was writing. I liked, I started with films. I liked films. And so all the films on Kids in the Hall, I, I fought hard to get those films on and came up with concepts, so I think, visually. So... Um, that's how I approached it. And so when we did Brain Candy, it was like, oh, I'm going to just start doing films. I'm going to write films. And that bombed. And then I was <laughs> left with looking for work. So that's why I went to S- SNL. But I really didn't think about sitcoms. And the, and the sitcoms, I think I was lucky in finding, uh, again, like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And I liked Mike Judge. I liked his approach to comedy in terms of uh, animation. It was very low-key.
2: It wasn't always about the joke. It was uh, The scenes were played very real. It's an approach I like too, so. And on that show, that, I mean, people. We, my partner and I developed for Fox a few years ago, and everyone was always on this, why is it animated? Why is it animated? And that always came up with King of the Hill, and you could never do the tone of that show live No, after. and they're it's saying, so no, we don't
0: want King of the Hill anymore. And When right. you go on, and say, we don't want that, they have Seth now. In, oh, uh, I know. That's yeah, when yeah, yeah, we were yeah. developing. <laughs> so that's what they like. But, I mean, I like comic books that are are just about everyday life. Those are my kind of my favorite. Uh, the, there's the superhero ones. I like the I like the ones that are just about a guy getting out of bed. I like all the our crumb stuff so I mean that's I like that approach and, and and when and it had that sort of that I feel to me a little bit it was just guys hanging out in an alley and just also had the we're lucky that we had the family angle too right? and I love Bobby Bobby was my, my favorite character on the show I oh, like writing for him. <laughs>
2: um, tell us about that room how how many writers did they have? I think we had a lot of writers we had something like 15 writers. And how was the room run? Uh, was it a typical? Was it typical of a sitcom room? I don't know. That was my first sitcom, so. But you've been on. Since. Yeah, I've been on <laughs> this,
0: but but then I didn't know. It just seemed all good to me. Uh, <laughs> I guess you just you just pitched ideas and and you went in and you uh, hopefully you had. Um, uh, you know, you sometimes they ask you to to, to flush flush it out, and sometimes that you would just had to pitch an idea. And you normally try to get your characters to interact on a sitcom. That's the best thing to do. And uh, people more normally get excited about outside characters because they can be crazy and not grounded. And so the characters within your main characters, you have to be, protect them a little bit. You can't can't make them look too nutty. You want them to be funny, but you don't also want them to be insane, because then you can't really relate to insane people. So um, th- that's
2: that's the approach that we, we had on that show. And uh, did you say that Greg found you for that show? He did, yeah. How did that He happen? heard
0: about me through the through kids in the hall. I think that his wife worked at uh, Broadway Video for, in New York for a while, Suzanne. So she recommended, I think, me to Greg, and then Greg gave me a call. Okay. Um, And now tell us a little bit about uh, Parks and Rec. Well, Parks and Rec is great. We only have eight writers, and Mike Schur is the showrunner. And uh, and so it's uh, Mike also writes on the show. He's uh, uh, which is crazy because he's also has to edit and he's also running the room and he's also. But normally you do you write you pitch out ideas and the room helps you break the story and then, um, and we have quite a few stand-ups on the show for good. They're good for punching up jokes and coming up with stuff and, uh, there uh, like I think I'm on there for Greg brought me on to for story. I'm I'm a big believer of story in, in in sitcoms. If the story's strong, then you have a good. Episode, so
2: was this something you've always known about yourself? I think I discovered that okay, Did but i always I always
0: loved it in movies, and yeah. i always the when I watched the films in the 70s, what I liked about them they always followed the story and they were true to the character so the what I liked about those films was that they could end on a bad note. You can have someone mm-hmm. die, and that was okay now you can't do that so often in movies anymore they they want everybody to come back and see a film, but uh, I I like that idea that you can go anywhere where the story takes you. And uh, uh, Mike Lee does this for me. He's a good and he does a lot through character and improvising too. So I like his stuff.
2: That's interesting, uh, David. What do you what do you think is your strength as a writer?
3: Um, stubbornness. Uh, no, I mean, I I, I think the the. The point at which I really started feeling like I could call myself a writer was not when I was in love with writing because that's easy you know you bang out 120 pages and you print it out and you go god that's like a book and I wrote it and then you put on your jacket with elbow patches and go have a port somewhere and but then you really become a writer when you go back and you read it and you're like well this is shit and I'm a monster and I might be able to fix it you know and then you you start digging back into the, you know, the crap that you created and try and make it something that's slightly less crappy. And the point where I, uh, the point where I fell in love with that process, you know, that you can go into something that's not quite right yet and just figure it out. Um, so that's, I would say that's definitely something that, uh, that I think all writers, you know, have to have, um, uh, me specifically. I, I think it's probably the, the range of stuff that I've worked on. I mean, I've worked on, you know, rather varied uh amount let's let's
2: talk about that for a minute because you have worked on a number of very different sorts of series Mm -hmm. um never mind the animation background but uh what is it like going from you know law and order to well, I guess they're still sort of procedural. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, that's
3: show. the thing is it's it's mostly been you know procedurals. I was from Law and Order to In Plain Sight to a Bruckheimer show called The Forgotten mm-hmm. um, that no one shockingly remembers. <laughs> um, uh, it was a great show. It was a lot of fun. To work work. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it's just don't call your show that. It was uh, I was with Christian Slater. He was fantastic. I, I had a great experience, but uh, yeah, it's a weird title. Um, and totally
2: these shows are all very different. I mean, you can draw the line like if we look at at what Norm's yeah. worked
3: on from Kids in
2: the Hall to King of the Hill to uh Parks
3: but you I Act. mean you can sort of draw the line through that cuz it's all it's essentially all mystery writing, you know. I mean, it's uh, the procedurals are just mysteries and so there's a uh you know, it's the same toolbox. That's actually something that's uh really interesting on person of interest because it's not a Procedural, that's the show I just started working on now. Uh, it's not a procedural in the strict sense. Even though sense. it's on CBS? Even though it's on CBS. And yeah, we'll, uh, um, but so it's, it's, you know, uh, it's requiring kind of a different toolbox because the, 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 the guys that are, you know, the lead guys, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're not law enforcement. So mm-hmm. they're not bound by those rules. And that's what creates generally the dramatic tension in a procedural is between what we would maybe like to do and what the rules say we can. Mm-hmm.
2: So how is Breaking Story different on this show than on the more strictly procedural shows you've worked on?
3: Um, uh the stories break differently. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, well, it, but, it, but it's, you know, like when I was on Lie to Me, uh, one of the writers uh, that I worked with, uh, she turned to me one day and she's like, oh, okay, so you figured out like an interrogation scene and then you make it a lie bust, which is what we called it when Lightman would go, oh, you're doing that with your forehead. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, but it was the same. Structurally, it worked the same way. Mm-hmm. This, you know, the guy's a vigilante, so you figure out who the bad guy is at the end of act one what if we go stick a gun in his mouth? You know, I mean, and, and so the story unfolds differently. So you have to, uh, you're kind of uh, simultaneously freed up and and chained to sure. figuring out how to make the show work without uh, without all those rules that made, you know, law and order work the way that it did, mm-hmm. you know.
2: Uh, Glenn, you've worked on, again, a wide range of oh. series, some more procedural and now The Walking Dead, which isn't procedural at all, I would oh. argue. Uh how has that transition been? What do you prefer? Is there something that, you know, it seems like The Shield you are very well suited for, uh, especially as you helped create the voice of it. Um, how has it been on this new series? And how did you get involved with it?
1: Oh, well, um, last year I was running a show called Hawthorne, which was very different, but it was, you know, sort of soft. As, uh, it's a nursing show starring Jada Pinkett Smith on TNT and it's a you know very soft uh, female driven show and and i was brought in to kind of help secure that show you know make sure that everybody was happy and um <laughs> and uh, uh and also I, I have a hospital background so um you know, I wanted to do one thing, and and uh, some of the other producers and stars wanted to do something else, so at the end of the show, it, it was really becoming, uh, at the end of the season, it was very uh, uh, melodramatic, I felt, and, and soapy, and I wanted to do, you know, something about my experience being in a hospital, something realistic. Um so so I uh got a call from a friend, Chick Egley, who was on The Walking Dead, he was an executive producer and he said, Hey, you want to come over and and meet? And I said, Well, I'm I'm not available. I still have to do posts on Hawthorne. So he said, Well just come over and meet. So I went and I met with Galen Hurd. And she said, so, so, you know, I like your writing and, and when could you start? And I said, well, I can't start for another month. So she said, well, well what are you doing here? You know? And I said, well, you called me. And, 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 and it just, it just was not a great meeting. But anyway, and I do like Gail very much. But, um, so then I went back to the office and I was like, well, that was a waste of time. And then they, I guess they felt bad. So they offered me a, a freelance opportunity. So there were a number of writers, and there were only five. You know, it was the episode plus five. So I said to my agent, well, that's a terrible decision on their part. Take it off the table, and hopefully I won't have to write it, but they could just pay me out or something, because some poor writer is going to go without a credit or something. But um, So I ended up getting that script, and... Just threw myself into it because you know i'm writing this soft nursing stuff that just wasn't working for me and now i get to write gunshots to the head and 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 you know i had some sister kill her sister she comes back i wrote the fifth episode last year and and uh and it was just fun it was just fun and i like darabon i think he's immensely talented and i saw what he was doing There was a little bit i'm sure people have heard of a the rift between frank and his writers last year and i could see both sides of that that rift and uh and i saw what frank was going for maybe it was because i had just been running a show so we hit it off and then he he asked me to you know come over and be the number two and and help shepherd the the scripts you know so to get back to the other question and it's a good gig i like it i think this season will be much better and we're very happy with it and I, i think it's it's hopefully will be uh continue to be a success so the, all of the shows I, I write on, I, I approach it the same way. You know, you have a character has a problem, and that character wants to solve that problem, and, and it's all about the, that need. And I've worked on, you know, this fall I, I consulted on a show called Criminal Mind Suspect Behavior, And I've worked with a lot of writers, and I've read hundreds of scripts. I I advise everybody, read every script you can, believe it or not. You know the whole thing, I will not read your fucking script? Well, I do read a lot of scripts. Um, I read two today for people. One guy, I don't even know who he is. But you you read these scripts, you read these scripts, and then you call and you try to be helpful, and you get to flex your story-breaking muscles on someone else's script at someone else's expense, so you're not dealing with your own anxiety about if your material is good or not. You see what I'm saying? So you kind of look for fixes, you see holes, and you say, hey, try this, try that. And then if they do it, great. If they can don't, I who cares? Can I ask a
0: question? You now, the people that you're helping, do they go, oh, that's a great idea? Or do they go, no, I like it the way it is? I don't care what they say. they can- <laughs> Because I've done that a lot, where people I've tell them what they're going to go. Well, I like yeah, you know what yeah. I go. Well, keep it that way. That, that's a great question. <laughs> don't, don't when
1: when you giving I'm notes, so old, you you give one, two, maybe three notes to help somebody bring it up the next level. Don't give right. page notes. Don't, don't give line notes. It's it's overwhelming to a new writer. Just give them. Well, I was thinking maybe you could dress this up or that, and 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 if they take right. it, great. If they don't, I don't care. So <laughs> so so um. So what I try to do is, is approach it from the, the character point of view. What I have found, and I would ask people to look at your own material, because uh, I just read, uh, like when we were staffing from Walking Dead, I read maybe 70 scripts. And what I find is a lot of people are writing stories o- about revelation, about where the main character is passive. And, you know, they're a low-level analyst, and then all of a sudden they find out their boss is involved in a a plot to take down the president or something. So it's all that zoinks moment. Um, That's not good drama. You know, if you look at Tony Soprano, you look at Vic Mackey, you look at Nurse Jackie, you know, those people are the most interesting people in their world. It's not about a satellite Discovering what that other person is doing, and and I mention this because I feel like a lot of people are writing that, and I find in development executives want that they all want, you know that that kind of thing, uh, where people are discovering it on the CBS show. I felt that's how we were breaking the story there, and and there was one poor guy who who developed this this uh, episode. And I just said, you know, I hate to say this, but Forrest Whitaker has an Oscar. I don't think there's one scene he's going to enjoy playing there. So that didn't go too well with that other writer. But we ended <laughs> up becoming friends because he saw what I was going for. You know, you want to give the, the actor some meat to play. They don't want to just look like Sherlock Holmes. You know, they want to be tortured. They want to, you know, um, um, have character stuff to play. So... I like writing that and I'll just keep writing it and and you know I'm probably not a good guy to write Lost or something that's coming to a big sure. revelation I'm I'm not that writer so I, I there's enough character stuff out there that I do and if you've got a a, a show that's not based on that then you know I'm not the guy you'd want to look at that's really it's great advice and I had never heard
2: it put quite that way but that's really smart advice uh, for anyone working on an original spec um Very briefly, you touched on uh, writing for an actor. Norm, what has been your experience in writing for actors? Uh,
0: because I had to do it right from the start it's great and I like being in the room with them and I like working with them uh, so on I'm, again I'm on Parks and Rec and I'm on the floor and they constantly are, are I'm not so attached to my dialogue that if it has if it can sound more natural if the, the actor can do it in a way and we're not losing what we're we set out to write I'm all for uh, uh, you know exploring again it makes it fresh for me makes it fresh for them and then uh, you might discover something on the floor that you didn't discover when you were writing it so uh, they like Amy's good at that. Uh, Nick Offerman's a very good character actor, so you you can give him even just a little note, and he can give you a, a, a take slightly different. And, and he's he's a delight to work with. All the all of them are great. They really improvise really well, and they're very loose. And it's
2: a very loose feel on on the floor. And yet. Uh, still pretty serious, I would imagine.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody. I mean, everybody <laughs> is. I trust them to do their jobs. You know, they're very. Th- we hired these people because we thought they were the best, and so I just think that. Oh, Amy, how I'm not going to do it better than Amy. Well, why would I tell her what to do? I mean, I she if she comes to me and says, "Oh, I, I feel like this isn't working," or I, "I'm not sure I'm getting the joke," then I'll try and help her. Then, but I trust them to to know what they're doing. Uh,
2: I feel that's the the feeling on the set.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I'm more curious to hear from you, David, about writing for directors. Is there is there a way? Uh, you know, TV directors don't often get their due. There are some great ones. There are some bad mm-hmm. ones, as in anything. Um, is there a way to communicate on the page what you want from a director? Well, it's,
3: it's funny you pose that question because it would like it, you know, in animation, uh, you. The scripts are a lot more descriptive. If a character is going to pick up a pencil, you have to put that they pick up a pencil and capitalize that because somebody's got to draw that pencil and that pencil has to be shipped to Korea where they can animate that pencil. So, you you know, and one of the first shows I wrote a a lot on was the Jackie Chan Adventures, which was a stunt driven show. So uh, we were writing really, really complicated fight scenes and calling out the shots. And I went from, from that sort of writing to Law and Order, which is, you know, uh, you know McCoy and Borgia walk and talk, dialogue, cut to, you know, and uh, so to, to dial that back uh, after spending, you know, six years in animation, really honing a sense of, of visual style on the page. Um, so I, I definitely try to, I, I mean, I think the thing that you want to create for a director is uh, room for them to do their job. So first of all, don't write too damn much. Uh, you know, it's 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 easy to be verbose. It's hard to be brief. It's hard to cut the stuff that you love, but that you know you're not going to have time for in in post. You know, and and it's a lot of times you'll shoot that stuff at the expense of extra takes, at the expense of a scene that uh, that would maybe lend some visual uh, appeal to it. Which in, in television, I think we're Far too frequently lacking if you looked at the pilots that were going around this year there were so many written in a very cinematic style by feature writers one the one i'm working on was written that way um uh, and so i think that you know we're a visual medium and i think in a, in a writer-driven portion of a visual medium we can tend to forget that but then the other thing i would say about writing for directors is uh I, i'm i'm very much in the camp of producibility like i like to start out thinking about okay How am I going to make my days on this thing? I've got, you know, I like person of interest. It's crazy. We're two days in six days out. That's not normally, normally you're, you know, four days on your standing sets, four days out, something like that. Um, And so you got to think, okay, how am I going to break this story in such a way that I don't break the budget at the same time? That we spend the amount of time that we need to spend on the sets we need to be on, but it still goes to an interesting place. And there's still money left over for if it's going to be a, you know, if we're going to shoot a nightclub scene, are we going to be able to afford 80 extras? Or are we going to be able to afford 200 extras so it looks like an actual nightclub? Um, So there's there's all of that kind of stuff that uh, I find that if you communicate well with your production, you can, uh, in the script phase... um, create something that, uh, when, it, by the time a director walks into it, there's a lot to work with. Um, as opposed to, cause it, I mean, it's tough for directors. They, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they don't there there'll be one director who stays on the show and works there all year, but most of them hop around from show to show. And they're, they're incredibly creative, incredibly talented people. And, you know, they might be directing something that has a shot at winning an Emmy one week and something that probably does not, uh, the next week. And so uh, I I just try really hard to make sure that something's rewarding. And then on set, I think it's about remembering that uh, from the perspective of everybody there, one person needs to be in charge. Otherwise, it gets confusing. And so I, you know, I I talk to the director and the director can go, you know, and I'll I'll dig in if I need to. um, But you really have to uh, you have to let them do their job. I mean, and I'd say that's true of everybody. You have to. You know, I I think if you're managing things well, you're creating good opportunities for other people to do their best work um, and not trying to do everything yourself.
2: That's great advice. Uh, Person of interest, you guys go to set. The writers are sent to set on their episodes. We'll see. That's
3: the plan. (laughs) We we start shooting in like a week and a half. But the promise is there. Uh, Probably. And
1: Parks and Rec, obviously you guys do. Do you shoot uh, Walking Dead in Atlanta?
3: Yeah, it's it's shot
1: in Atlanta and uh, we were planning to send writers there, but you know, it's it's uh we've had budgetary problems. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, prosthetics and makeup and stuff like that. So we're not sending writers to set, and I I think you lose something. I you know I I, I uh listen I I don't want to go to set. Atlanta's humid and hot, and <laughs> those poor people are covered with ticks now and stuff. <laughs> and, but um, but you know you're there to support the director. You know you you sometimes you see some chemistry or some, some connection that, uh, you know, and I'll pull the director aside and I'll say, you know, can I offer something and then and then tell them what you're thinking and then it's up to them to direct. You know, I don't think a writer on set should be directing over somebody's shoulder. That's not, you know, chances are you don't know how to do it. You're just going to screw it up. So so let the director direct, but you can be an extra set of creative eyes on, on the thing, you know, on the set. So, um We'll see we'll see how it goes. You know, we just had I just watched uh, an episode and you know You didn't need a writer anywhere near that director knew what he was doing. So uh, So we'll see what happens Uh, Very briefly before
2: we we're going to turn it over to the crowd in a minute. Um, You guys have all developed uh, for Yourselves and for various outlets. Uh, Is there one that got away for you that you thought to yourself? This is the series I really want to do uh, but it wound up going nowhere for one reason or another. Well, there's always ideas that I think are really good that I
0: want them to do, but it has to somehow connect. It's all timing too. You know, if you're if you're just ahead of the curve in terms of pitching something, two years later, something can be that you pitched two years earlier can be p- pitched two years later, and all of a sudden it's on the air, and you go, "What the hell?" So, you're just, it's just timing. It's also when you're hitting, when you go into an office, you could be talking to someone one week and then next week, the <laughs> next week that person isn't there anymore. So, it's, it's, it's frustrating that way. I mean, I, there's certain ideas that I pitched one to HBO and they liked the idea and then it fell away. Um, but I'm glad I got a chance to write it, and I'm glad they shepherded it along and at least uh, entertain my crazy idea that took place in space. So, uh, you know, can you talk about what it was? There's
3: nothing crazy about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it was the space hotel. It was about a, a, a you know, it was like <laughs> you say that like it's something we all, we yeah, all you've heard all else.
0: been to a space <laughs> hotel. No, I, I mean, so I like that idea. I read a little article about someone who wanted to. Do I love space stuff, so I, I just wanted to do a grounded show in space. It was a weird idea. I saw it as C- Citizen Kane as a sitcom is how I saw it. And it's a grand idea, and it was crazy. And then they, you know, I, I don't know if I really... I think I did an okay pilot. I don't think I really nailed it or, or anything. And, you know... But
1: the and experience they, was good? It really? was great. That's great. Yeah. What about you, Glenn? Um, yeah, I, I have one that... Um, uh, you know, I, I wrote a pilot last year for Fox, and um, we went in and we sold it in the room. And Peter Tolan, who's a you know terrific writer, and he was sort of attached as a producer. And um, you know, imagine the tone of Rescue Me in a hospital setting. So. So we went in and we sold it to Fox and everybody was all excited and slapping my back. And I was like, why, why did we sell this to Fox? You know, because unless there's a ghost or a dinosaur, I don't <laughs> think Fox is going to shoot this. So so we uh, so I wrote the script and I loved it. It was my favorite script. I think it was my best script. And um, then, you know, then the, the notes came back and they, and I was taking their notes and then they were just about, I, I believe, to green light it to shoot it, but they wanted, you know, basically turn it into House Two. And uh, I said, no. I just said, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that because if you want House Two, you can shoot this, but it's never going to be House Two. And so you're never going to put it on the air. So, so I pulled it. And uh, the studio was pretty annoyed at that. And, and uh, you know, so I still have it. And and you know I'll get it back from Fox and I'll shop it around and so that's one that I I really love you know I, I just I just love that I love those characters, but having developed before and being disappointed, I was like eh you know that's okay at, at least at least uh, uh you know I, j- I I I didn't want to see that one killed so I sort of hid it in a bushel basket you know. What
3: I'm <laughs> Smart. Yeah. What about you, David? I I would just say ask me that question again when my career is over because you know <laughs> nothing ever really goes away. That, that said, there is one thing. You've that's, evolved, yeah, you've developed. Yeah, no, quite there's bad. there's there's something that is an idea I had shortly after college, and at one point I I had to fight to get the rights back to it, and I uh, uh, wrote it uh, as a spec, and it's it's sitting there, you know, and it's like it's it's gotten me other jobs that mm-hmm. that spec has, but it's uh, you know uh, hasn't hasn't finished its lifetime yet, you know? So I'll just, you know, keep working on it and or maybe find some time to work on it. thing needs to rewrite. But, it's a secret, though, yeah. right? You Everything's a secret. So. Look <laughs> where I work. That's fair. All right.
2: Who, ha- who has a question here?
1: For, um, for Glenn, when you wrote your shield that's serialized, um, what do you do when, um, when the spec that you wrote kind of is...
3: Impossible because the show comes back and goes a different direction. Can you still oh, okay. use that? Let,
1: let's let's talk about that. Because uh, well, <laughs> um, I wrote a uh, spec *Sopranos*, and uh, right at the like during the first season, so everybody said, "Well, that's crazy, you know, to do that because you don't know where it's going or what's happening." You just pick a point, you know. You can't possibly imagine. You you can't figure out what writers are going to do. You just have to pick a point, and and try to make it. Um, standalone, you know, don't, you know, like, let's say Sons of Anarchy is a very serialized show. Okay. It's a biker show and they do shit every week. So, uh, so that's not that hard to figure that out. You know, you just go and you do that and you sort of have to ignore the mythology, you know, that Buffy that I wrote, I guess there was some larger, uh, mythology, but, you know, um, um, you know, I knew she had a relationship with Angel so I sort of made that the emotional core of that script so you find out what what is special about that show and then write to it, always write about the main character you know sometimes I know people in a spec shield would write about Dutch and Claudette or whatever that's interesting, that's not what that show is it's about Vic and the strike team um, and, and and so I think you just have to You just have to write it. And and therefore, I would not spend a lot of time on it. So some people spend months writing a spec. Uh, If you're a TV writer, you have to learn how to write fast. So I'd break something quickly and I'd write it. You shouldn't spend more than two months writing a spec, I think. You know, you move on, get it done, and get on to the next one. Um, Because, you know, at some point, you're just not – it's an impossible task, you know. So – and expect – and, you know, I wrote a scene for my ER – And then, this is true, it sounds like bullshit, and then that night, that scene was on. So that was sort of disheartening that I lost that storyline, but it made me feel like I was in the the right ballpark. So you just have to sort of jump in, you know, and and just just do what you can.
3: Yeah, uh, if I can add to that when i wrote a shield spec i just picked a spot you know i had it was they were in the middle of airing the second season and i picked a spot between two episodes and said okay that's where mine goes because they want to see if you can write not if you can tell the future you know
1: yeah can can i can i say something about specs do you you mind um you know the things about about specs is uh and this this is my advice because i guess most people here are working on specs or is that is that accurate Um, you know like I said, I read a lot of scripts, and most of the scripts I read are well-written, okay? It's a bell curve, and most of them are in the middle. You're looking for some startling ideas. I'm looking for a writer who can write something, because if, if I'm working on The Shield, I can write The Shield. I don't need you to write The Shield. I don't need you to write The Walking Dead. I can, I can write that. What I don't have is ideas, so you have to really kind of think about nothing gratuitous, nothing over the top. You know, you use your personal sensor to to censor. Uh, that's a weird word. But anyway, <laughs> but, but but you know, you, you, but you have to figure out. Yeah, I'm a robot. So I forgot. To, I'm going to start smoking in a minute. Sorry. Someone reboot. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we made So, but you, you know, you have to you have to try to do something that's going to be memorable. You know, somebody is going to read forty scripts or seventy scripts you know somebody is reading scripts all the time what makes you stand out and it's not necessarily the craft it's about the ideas you know you wrote something that was uh, that was on uh, season 16 of law and order that Mm -hmm. they had never done before Mm -hmm. you know you've got hundreds of writers going through law and order and 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 he found something that they hadn't done that's interesting that's of merit that's why he had that gig so so the the spec Really has to showcase that you have imagination.
2: I'm curious, David, and uh, if you can't remember, that's fine. But when you uh, first interviewed for Law and Order, did you pitch ideas? No,
3: no. Um, uh, uh, we talked about the show. We talked about writing. Um, uh, when I met with Overmeyer, we talked about you know his plays and, and stuff. Uh, and it was raining horribly that day. It was I I literally had to literally. I had to crawl into the back of my car because I didn't have an umbrella, but I had like a rain jacket, like a windbreaker back there (laughs) on the Universal lot in the parking lot. This was before they built the Conan Theater, and the parking lot was a long way away. So it was pouring, and I had to pull this thing over me, and I ran, and I was soaked from like here down just soaked. Uh, So it was kind of a weird meeting. Um, honestly, but uh, you know, I mean, the meeting, the, the whole thing about the meeting is, is they're just trying to find out if you're an asshole or not because it's really, you know, they've, they've read, read, they've your, read your script, yeah. you know, it's yeah, they're just trying to make sure you're not an idiot, right. you know. Yeah, it's, I
2: think uh, Jane Esmondson was here and said it's the one where they find out if you're wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you're wearing pants, you might be Which I perfect. almost wasn't, <laughs>
3: right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um more questions i forget who um said that they had like worked like in a writer's group but did you guys i don't know if all of you have done it but did you find that writer's groups helped you didn't help you slowed you down i just was curious about that good question
0: well for comedy it really helps i find i mean I, a lot of people say that that they, they writing comedy you need one voice but i i feel like on a sitcom when you're having to do 24 shows it uh, helps to be working in a group. And you'll be pitching out an idea, and the idea will go I- in another direction because another comedy mind is in the room, and then they're taking you into that. And you then chase that for a while, and someone else will then chase it. And everybody knows what a good idea is. As soon as something sparks something, everybody, you- you'll hear the room pep up. Uh, most of the time it's quiet, and it feels very depressed because there's people... Thinking of the next idea so but when one comes everybody gets really excited and they start talking and I like working with other comedy minds I I think uh, you know I think in one way I have my ideas tend to be very strange and tend to be very low key too. I like a very low key sensibility of comedy so uh, I always worry if it's too broad but sometimes someone will say no it's good in terms of this and you have to think about it in terms of story as well it will uh, you have to again think Would that character do that or not do that and uh, and in terms of a comedy set piece, it's always good to have that too. If you have a set piece of, and you have your your lead character, you know, in the third act doing something, it's good to have uh, a comedy set piece. Gets the room going too. It, it gets everybody
1: really excited about that idea. Um, uh, you know, I, I was the one who said I worked in a writers writers uh, had a writers group. I think it's invaluable. And what happens when you're in a writer's group is, one, I like writers. I wouldn't be here if I didn't like writers. I like talking about writing. I like being with writers. I like helping writers. And and we can help each other. You know, let the actors and the executives and the directors beat us up. But I think we have to stick together as writers. Um, Writers in TV hire writers an executive can pass me a script a director can pass me a script But if a writer passes me a script, I'm gonna feel that I'm gonna read that script I may not read that script if somebody else passes it unless I feel obligated and the thing that when you're in a writer's group, you're reading someone's material and you are trying to get ahead of what they're doing you're looking at what their intention is and then how can you be helpful and again you're offering help to that person of here's your vision i think it got a little cloudy here or whatever. Here's, here's something I'm offering. That's what you do in a writer's room. See, what you don't do in a writer's room and what people think is, oh, I'm here to mind my personal experience and and give you material. No, you're there so that the showrunner can exploit you. You're there to generate okay. ideas. You're there to think about what's the showrunner doing? What do they like? What don't they like? And get ahead of them so that you can give a pitch that they feel they can write because they're the best writer on the staff, because that's what they're told. So so you see what I'm saying? So so you're just trying to generate a great idea that someone else is going to take credit for. That's sort of how it works in a, a writer support group, but it's a lot nicer, you know? Yeah. So so I do think it's it's valuable because it's a skill that you develop and you wanna develop these skills. Ahead of time, so you can hit the ground running when you're in a writer's room. You know, if 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 can I can I just say one more thing? Obviously, we have time for one more. (laughs) One more. See, one of the things when you go in, when when you you go in and you interview, I want to talk about something you just said. He told a very interesting story about uh, the rainstorm. Okay, when you go in. That guy can tell a story. He can tell a story. If he comes in and he tells me, it's like, oh Jesus, it's raining outside. Da 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 da. I'm going to remember him. I'm going to remember visually. This was a guy in the back seat trying to, to, to trying to find this. That's what's interesting. So what you what you try to do is when you go into a store, a uh, 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 an interview with somebody, you're trying to present yourself as a storyteller. I told a, I told a couple of stories. I told a story about sweating through a black suit. That's memorable. So you're trying to make yourself stand out because most people come in and they interview and they are just given their resume. Oh, I went here, I did this, da-da-da-da-da. You're not getting a sense of them as as, as a storyteller, as someone in the room. And so if you are practicing pitching you're practicing you know you're in a writer's group and you're saying well let me pitch this or oh jesus this you know what happened to me i was in a rainstorm and maybe this is a scene you can use and you learn how to be generous this is all stuff that will help people i don't know if it'll help you get a job but it'll help you stay in i believe um i just was
3: wondering uh working on your own material versus uh working in the sandbox of another show um how you find the process different and uh, what kind of time frame? Like when you're working on a s- original spec or one for, you know, the shield.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just know that when you're writing your own, or you're writing a pilot, that the, that there's, the possibilities are endless, right? So it's, it's, it's exploring all the possibilities and then deciding what your world is. That's the really tough. And I think when we were, I was on Parks and Recreation, that the first six shows we had six shots at sort of discovering what that world was and who these characters were, and and so that's a luxury if you can get the time to do that on one pilot on one ep- they want everything in that pilot which is crazy um, you can't do it but my my thing is if you tell a good story and you have interesting characters and you have a hint of what's to come that's enough for me I, I will tune in the next week to see. You. Again, if it's going to be interesting. If it isn't, then I, I tune out. But I, like, I, that's all you really have to do. And I find the possibilities really good, like exciting, but also scary because there's so many when you're doing your own pilot. But when you figure out a show, then you kind of know the world. There's a, like a, a sweet spot on the show where you're kind of discovering the show mm-hmm. along with the audience, where you're sort of discovering what your, who your characters are and what they are. And so it's, it's going on. Now we're into our fourth season. We kind of know what works and what doesn't. And it was the same on Kids in the Hall. You kind of become aware of what's working, what isn't. And you, so you have to fool yourself into, uh, once again, re- sort of discovering the show again, and opening up the characters a little bit more, but not also losing the sense of who those characters are. So I mean, both, both are find very exciting. I find one, once you, you find the characters, then you know, oh, she does this, and that person does that. And then when you put them in a the room together, they act like this. But when you have two characters that you know, like I wrote another uh, pilot, uh, I knew all the characters. It was about uh, drug dealing altar boys. And I, <laughs> I, I knew all the characters in that world. And I knew, you know, I, it was like I'm, I grew up Catholic, so I knew that world and I knew everything. But when, you, when you're writing a pilot, like just a family sitcom or something, you, you try to take from your life if you can. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's like if it's a, a world you don't know, and you're creating those characters, and then, then you're sort of discovering with the writers that you bring on and you bring into the room.
3: Sure.
0: You guys want to talk about
3: creating your own? Oh, well, it's—I mean, it's you know. Uh, Spec writing and pilot writing is a little bit like this. is kind of kind of the hardest writing there is because the deadlines, you know, are more flexible or non existent. At least, you know, you know, when I'm doing a pilot now, if it's not something wholly original, I generally pitched it. I have a deal in place, and I know that I will get money if I finish it, which helps. Um, uh, you know, the, the thing you're talking about that sweet spot, yeah. It's, there's an amazing feedback process when you're working on a show that already exists because you've seen what the actors can do, what they can't do. I, I remember on Law and Order, I, I learned that uh, Sam Watterson was just always at his best when you put his back to the wall, when he had to do something that he didn't want to do, but that was the it was the thing that the job required, but that his heart told him was wrong. When you could write those scenes, Sam, who's an amazing actor, would just kill him. Um, and you don't have that when you're writing a pilot, you know, you, maybe you have an actor in mind, but you don't know, you know, how they would actually perform it because it's just an idea about this person that you saw in this other thing. And so, uh, so it's a lot more challenging, uh, you know, frankly, I mean, writing for a show that already exists where you have production deadlines and stuff, you, you know. You think of it because you have to. It's remember that thing in in high school where you learned about like gas that it expands to fill all volume. Writing sort of like that, you know. Like if you have uh, if you have three weeks to write a script, you'll get it done in three weeks. If you have three months, it could not be done in less than three months, you know. And if you have, if you have three days, I can get it done. So it's just you know uh, it's definitely I think and And I mean that not just about the the schedule, but also the creativity that uh this I think I don't know if you guys would agree, but I think the sad truth is we all write a little better with a gun to our head, mm-hmm. you know like when there's some sort of deadline, there's some sort of pressure, you just yeah, I hate it, but you do better work, yeah, you know? I avoid writing a lot yeah yeah <laughs> i'm yeah, doing yeah. it now <laughs> that's why i showed
1: up here you know um you know last year i i worked on um you know Hawthorne, this criminal mind spinoff and and walking dead and i wrote a pilot so i worked on four shows and i probably you know helped break or write uh you know 25 hours of tv or something like that you know this year, you know, Walking Dead, you know, Darabont's got it very organized, and it's kind of a cushy gig. Um, you know, I haven't written anything, you know, and so and I've got ideas, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna write a big feature, and I'm gonna write a miniseries, and, and you just kind of walk around, and, and, and then the stuff becomes its own whirlwind, and and I'm back in that zone where you know, my wife says, well, what are you writing? You know, and and it's and it's easy, it's easy not to write. There's always a movie to catch up on, or mm-hmm. one of my kids to play with, or whatever. It is so so just yesterday you know I was uh, you know I was talking to a writer on on the show the other day this guy Scott Gimple who I think is immensely talented and and uh, he said you know why don't you just take some of these ideas and just write spec uh pilots I was like, yeah. Why don't I do that? Because I hate the development executives anyway. So I might as well just write it. So so I've just decided, you know, I'm going to write at least two, maybe three by Christmas. You know, and just bang them out, and hopefully they won't suck. And and I don't have to show them to anybody. But <laughs> but you know, you need a gun to your head because it's 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 so easy to, uh, particularly when you're working. And you don't have to hustle, you know, and and what writers do is they hustle and we're very good at hustling. And then and then once you start getting some success, it's very you give notes to other people and then they're hustling, you know. And and that's why I think these more successful producers, the more they succeed, the less they write, actually, you know, and their projects, uh, you know, take longer and longer and because they've got people to do it. So it's it's torture. And, and at some point, you just have to decide, if I'm going to be a writer, then I'm going to continue to torture myself. That's, 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 that's the premise. <laughs> and and if there's, and there's, there's one no thing we can take it. away today, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: that. Uh, I just need to thank my panelists, David Slack, Norm Hiscock, and Glenn Mazzara. Thank all of you for coming. Thank you to Nerdist Industries here at Meltdown Comics and 826LA. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks.